Hey everyone, this is Matt with another Overflow Pod on our series on the habits of happiness. Last week we looked at the first habit we need to practice to be happy no matter what is going on in our lives, which is to view life from God's perspective. So if you haven't listened to that one, go and check that one out before listening to this one. So let's jump right into the second habit to be happy no matter what life throws at you is never let other people control your attitude. See, you can be happy no matter what happens in your life if you never let others control your attitude. You don't let them decide whether you're happy or not. Philippians 1, 15 to 17 says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm unchanged. He's saying there's a few kinds of people out there in his life. There's critics who are slandering him and creating all kinds of controversy. There are comrades, his friends. There are competitors who are preaching Christ out of rivalry. And there are conspirators who just want to make the problem worse. They want to rub it in. Philippians 1.15 says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Have you ever met anyone like that where they love to argue? They love conflict? They enjoy creating controversy? The first church I was ever a part of was filled with critics and quarrelsome people. See, the critic's motive is usually jealousy. When people criticize something, they're usually jealous of it or jealous of the person. Few things can rob your happiness faster than being criticized. And when you're criticized at work or you're criticized by friends, I say that in quotes, or you're criticized by neighbors, your stomach starts to churn. Why? Because we all want to be loved. We all want to be approved. And what I found as I watched the pastors in my first church deal with the situations and the people, they were miserable. There's no joy in the church. Meetings and problem solving took up all the time. And as I watched from the sidelines, being a naive 20-something, new to church politics, and that's what it is, spiritual politics. So all the negative thoughts you have towards governmental politics, you could apply it to the church, sadly. It stemmed from a few people who were jealous or filled with resentment, but ultimately was almost always about power. Who had the power to make decisions? Who was in control? And as I looked at the situation as an outsider, I realized the ridiculous extent People would try to keep or gain a minuscule amount of power. When they did that, regardless of it, if they were successful or not, they were never happy at the end, no matter how good the outcome was. See, the happiest people were people who didn't care about that stuff, who didn't need to be right or to have others' approval. They just showed up to church, enjoyed it, and went home. You don't need other people's permission to be happy. You're as happy as you choose to be. If they're unhappy, that's their choice but you don't have to depend on other people's approval in order to be happy. If you haven't gotten it now, you're probably not going to get it. And if you're going to be miserable, if you try to live for the approval of everybody else, because you'll never get it. Paul was modeling here, never let other people control your attitude. Some of these people are just jealous and they're quarrelsome, they're cranky, and they criticize everything that Paul does in ministry, which in hindsight is absolutely insane. But then in the next verse, he talks about the good guys. These are his friends. He says, others preach Christ from genuine goodwill, out of love. That's the reason. That's the reason you should 
talk about Jesus is out of love. And they know that God's given me the work of defending the gospel. He says, those people bring me joy. Then in the next verse, in 17, he talks about another killjoy, competitors. He says, others preach Christ insincerely from a spirit of selfish ambition. They're actually people in ministry who are ego-driven. How do you know someone's ego-driven? They put other people down all the time to build themselves up. That's when you know someone's ministering in selfish ambition. Also, one of my key traits, I, I can't really prove this, but whenever someone has a sign of their name or a picture outside their church, why do you need that? It's all about the ego, how big it is. Also, how big do they have a pastor parking spot? That, that's one of those other ones. It's just ridiculous. It just shows you it's their ego. That's, that's why they're doing it. They're doing it to be lifted up. And most of the time, though, they feel compelled to put other people down in order to build themselves up. Now, most of you, probably all of you, are probably not a pastor. But if you're in any kind of business, you have competitors, right? And if you don't deal with this, competitors will rob you of your happiness. You'll look at it. Well, look at what they're doing. You can have competition over the most ridiculous things outside of your job. Like, like how good your lawn is. The neighbor's lawn's greener. It's just ridiculous. We better get ours going. The, this house that I moved into, I heard from the neighbor, he said they had a long-standing competition over 20 years about who had the better yard. It, it's just, I heard that and I was like, well, you'll never get that out of me. <laughs> I hate doing yard work. You can have competition over the car you drive, how fast you drive, how slow you drive, whatever. You can have competition over your kids. My kid was the student of the month, and you can see those dumb bumper stickers bragging about their kids. I used to hate that when I was younger and saying, my kid's an honor student at such and such. I was like, oh my goodness, be quiet. You can compete over a hairstyle, over shoes. If you don't deal with this, you're going to be happy a lot in your life because critics will rob you of your happiness. Competitors will rob you as well. And Paul says, even in ministry, preaching about Jesus Christ, there are selfish and ambitiously people insincerely preaching the, the good news. Then the second part of verse 17, he talks about conspirators or enemies. These are people who just want to mess them up. And he says, other people just want to stir up trouble for me. They want to add to my pain while I'm in prison. Wow, <laughs> that's rough. You're going to have all four of these people in your life. Critics, comrades, competitors, conspirators. Don't let them rob you. I want you to see Paul's attitude. He says, I'm in prison. I'm already down, and these guys are kicking me while I'm down. Critics, conspirators, and competitors, they're trying to get at me. Look at verse 18. Here's Paul's attitude. He's saying, what others do, what these people do, he says, it doesn't really matter. The important thing is that in every way, whether for right or wrong reasons, the message of Christ is being shared, so I'm happy, and I will continue to be happy. That's great. He says, I'm not going to let other people control my attitude. There may be people criticizing me. There may be people competing with what I'm doing. They may be people conspiring to make sure I fail. doesn't matter. I'm going to focus on Jesus, and I'm going to choose to be happy, and I will continue to be happy, and I'm not going to let someone steal my joy. So the cool thing here is, if I want to stay happy, even if I'm in something like prison, I look at everything that's going on in my life from God's viewpoint, and I realize he's going to work it out for good. That was last week. Then I just say, no matter what the critics are and who the complainers are and who the conspirators are, who the competitors are, 
They're not going to stop me from being happy. I'm going to keep my focus right. I'm going to be fearless. Paul explains why you can be happy no matter what in verse 29 and 30 of Philippians 1. He says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this fight together. You have seen me suffer for him in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of a great struggle. And Paul says it's a privilege to suffer when you're doing the right thing. Great is your reward in heaven. You're most like Jesus when someone's nailing you to a cross, when someone's trying to get at you. So he says, I'm not going to let other people rob me. I'm going to be happy no matter what. Here's a third habit. Always trust God to work things out. I don't try to work it out myself. When things are falling apart, I don't try to put them back together. I just let God put them back together. Now, practically, for me, I always try to fix things. I think it's almost a male trait where we want to fix everything. Even if we don't understand the situation, we just don't want to keep going down that road. We want to fix it right away. And when my wife has an issue or a problem before she's even done talking about it, I've already put together a three-point action plan in my mind that I'm going to bestow my wisdom on the situation that will fix everything. Guys, you ever done that? Big mistake. Women have the ability not to to not try to immediately fix it, but to actually listen to the problem and maybe to understand it. Well, guys are like dummies who just jump right in and by immediately trying to fix it, we don't trust God to do it. We put it in our hands and we take it out of his. What we need to worry is, what we need to do is to not try to work it out ourselves. When things are falling apart, I don't try to put them back together immediately. I just let God put them back together. It's an attitude of prayer first, then action. It's asking God for help, not as a last resort. Philippians 1.19 says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. This is a powerful verse. In this one verse, Paul gives four sources of strength in tough times when you got to trust God to work things out in order to remain happy. It starts, for I know. In other words, I have God's perspective on my problem. I know God's in control. And then the second source of strength, that through your prayers, hey, I have people praying for me. It's going to keep me going. Third, God's provision of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. He has the Holy Spirit. Fourth, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. That's how the verse ends. Mm-hmm. I have faith that God will work it for good. So I've got perspective, I've got prayer, I've got the Holy Spirit, and I've got faith. Then he says, therefore, I choose to be happy. He says, I will continue to rejoice. And this is how you stay positive. This is how you stay happy no matter what happens in your life. I can be happy no matter what happens if I look at it from God's viewpoint. I don't let people control my attitude. And I always trust God that he'll work it out no matter how rough or difficult the situation or the problem is. Fourth habit. If I stay focused on my purpose, not my problem. My dad and his wife used to love the Olympics. And I remember going over to their house for dinner and back in the 90s, I think. And the Olympics were on. And they were telling me this story of this. They were amazed at this little 14-year-old girl, Dominique Mociano. 
stellar 90s gymnasts on the big best U.S. gymnast team of all time, I think, back in the 90s. And she had just had a tibial stress fracture from a fall. And then a few minutes later, she competed in the Olympic four final. It was riveting and amazing how an athlete could deal with the pain focusing on her goal. And at the time, I thought that was amazing. But as I got older, I realized something is messed up with that mindset. Now, contrast that with just a few years ago, Simone Biles, the best gymnast ever. At an Olympic event, she decided not to compete because she was not in the right space mentally to compete. Now, she didn't have any physically wrong with her, but it was mental. Now, before you jump to a conclusion as to who focuses on their purpose and not their problem, listen to Mociano, a little, who's now no longer 14, she's so, she's about 40 now, talking about this. She talked about this and about Simone Biles. And this is from an article I read on the internet. It says, reflecting on Biles' decision, Mociano said, the six-time Olympic medalist decision demonstrates that we finally have a say in our own health. I never felt I had that as an Olympian. In our sport, we essentially dive into a pool with no water. When you lose your ability to find the ground, which appears to be part of Simone Biles' decision, the consequences can be catastrophic. She made the right decision for the team and herself. Mochiano continued, the general public needs to understand that an off day in gymnastics can result in catastrophic injuries. Gymnasts make their skills appear so effortless that we forget about the tremendous risks they take every time they perform. All in all, she said, Simone's decision represents a significant positive change in our gymnastics culture. Wow. That's probably not what you were expecting. Now, I remember the incident and all the criticism Simone Giles, Biles got for it. Instead of praising for the courage to say, I can't today. See, her purpose was not, I repeat, was not just to be an athlete. That is her job. Her career is a gymnast and only for a few years. And then she's going to move on to something else. Here's the point. Don't confuse a job with your purpose in life. God didn't just create you on earth to fulfill a career. There's so much more that he made you for. See, we confuse our purpose with our jobs. And what happens is our jobs could actually be the problem. So if we have to stay focused on our purpose, not on our problem, we, we have to first decide what is our purpose and what is our problem. For Mociano, her problem was competing again because she was hurt. Her purpose, though, was not to do it. She had so much more to offer. This was something I've had to face. Was my purpose in life to be a church pastor, or was it just a job? My purpose is to serve God by serving other people. And I just happened to be able to preach 30 minutes a week on the job, being able to do that. Because let me tell you, a pastor job is like 20 hours a week putting out fires. 15 hours a week preparation and study, 10 hours of pointless meetings, 10 hours of ridiculousness, and I could go on and on, but you get my point. The actual spreading of good news or serving people is only like 10% of the job of being a pastor. And you think, oh no, that's all the, no. The administration, the ridiculousness. I remember, I remember sitting in the pastor's office one time and he was talking for 
for like two hours on the types of toilet paper to buy in the, for the restroom. <laughs> oh boy. I know there are people who are going to disagree with me that that purpose is, is being, is their job, but it's not. Don't confuse your job with your purpose. Paul didn't do that. Paul was his job as a missionary church planner with his purpose of spreading the gospel of Jesus. And you can say, well, they're one and the same. Well, not exactly. He wanted to go to Rome and plant a bunch of churches. Instead, he was stuck in prison. And he was forced to write, whether it be his writings or his witness to the guards, who I am sure were tired of him talking about how much Jesus loves them, and that all they need to do is believe and trust in what he did, and they would be saved to enter into a relationship with God. And we know that because I think I talked about that last pod, about how we have records of how the guards' family and the emperor's household come came to a relationship with Jesus Christ, all because of the guards. Picture this. Paul is old. I mean, he is an old man now. He is in prison. He is a long way from home. He's in Rome. He's awaiting death by execution. And these are not exactly normally happy times. And they've taken everything away from Paul. They've taken away his friends. They've taken away his freedom. Taken away his ministry to travel around. They've taken away his privacy. Remember, guards chained to him 24 hours a day. Imagine having to go to the bathroom with a guard right next to you. Oh, that's humiliating. But there's one thing they can't take away from Paul, his purpose. It can't be taken away from it and his ability to make choices. Philippians 1, 22 to 25 says, If I am to go on living in this body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. He can still say that, even though he's not talking to anybody. He's just writing letters and talking to guards. But he understands that he's, ha he's having an impact on the guards' life. And then the verse continues, Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. He doesn't just have a purpose for living. He has a purpose for dying. Paul says, it doesn't matter whether I live or die. I've got a purpose either way. On earth, my purpose is to serve God by serving other people. And how do you serve God on earth? You can't serve God directly because you can't even see him. The only way you can serve God on earth is by serving other people in Jesus' name. So he says, when I'm alive, my purpose is simply to serve Christ by serving people. And when I die, my purpose is to be with Christ. Either way, I win. And the reason why most people are miserable is because they think that happiness comes from self-gratification. If I just get more possessions... If I get more pleasure, if I get more position, if I get sex salary status, if I get more things, if I live for myself, if I get better stuff, I'll be happier. It doesn't work. Self-gratification is not the way to happiness. The way to happiness is self-sacrifice. Paul says the reason why I'm happy is because as long as I'm alive, I'm giving my life away to help others. Imagine the conversations he had with the guards. I bet he knew them all by name. I bet he talked to them about their families. I bet he talked to them about Jesus every time he could, every conversation. They were captive listeners. He couldn't go anywhere. I bet the guards were wondering, why is this guy in here? I feel bad for this guy. They probably became friends. I bet he prayed for them and helped them as much as he could. I bet they were pretty nice to him as well. Are you doing that? Are you praying for people around you? Were you living for yourself? 
Are you caring for people's lives around you? Because people are all going through tough times. Are you living for yourself? Because I can tell you right now, then you're not going to be happy. Because happiness doesn't come from status, salary, or sex. Let me ask you this. For me to live as Christ, Paul says. If somebody came up to you and asked you to fill in the blank, for me to live is what? Would you put entertainment, sports, football later today? I have to wait till Monday night to watch the Eagles. It's going to be a tough game too. I know some people, they live and die with their football team. It's crazy. For me to live is what? Make money. My family. My friends. For me to live is Christ. I want to say this. How you fill in the blank is going to determine how happy you are in life. Because if you just say, for me to live is money, you're never going to be happy. Because you're never going to have a lot of it. Especially with today's inflation. Oh my goodness. You're not going to be happy. For me to live is fame, pleasure, possession, position, power, prestige. Now there's nothing wrong with those things by themselves. They just don't deserve first place in your life. Because you weren't created to make a bunch of money, die and give it away. No. God has a far greater purpose for your life. For me to live is Christ. And there's only one answer that leads to happiness. And I want you to be honest and settle the issue. Because you know you often let circumstances determine your happiness. If things are going well, you're doing well. If things aren't doing well, you're not doing well. That's a terrible way to live. Sadly, that's how most of us live most of the time. You know that you often allow killjoys of pain and problems, pressures and picky people to rob you of your happiness? Why not start today to practice the four habits of Paul model? First, help me to look at every problem in my life from God's viewpoint. Handle problems in a way that's a witness to non-believers and an encouragement to believers. Second, help me to remember that what others say and do does not control my happiness unless I allow it. Third, and as for things that happen that I don't understand or I can't figure out, I'm going to trust you to work it all out for good. And fourth habit, help me to stay focused on your purpose for my life, not my problems. Don't let me confuse my job or career for my purpose in life. I want to use the rest of my life to serve you by serving others. Consider praying that most dangerous prayer. Ready? It's just three words. Lord, use me. That's dangerous. Because all of a sudden, you're going to be like, whoa, all these people came into my life that I can help. And oh boy, I don't want to. You pray, Lord, use me. And situations are going to come up where you can do that. And it can be scary. But consider praying that dangerous prayer. Lord, use me. So I have a purpose for living and for dying. And my purpose for living is to serve you by serving others. And I promise if you practice these four habits, you're going to be happy no matter what life throws at you. Well, I hope that encouraged you today. God bless, and I'll see you in the next pod.